Welcome back to the Mel K Show. I'm very excited. Uh, my guest today is a, is a investigative journalist that goes where most people don't even know to go, let alone covers topics that people really need to know about and get so little um, uh, information out there about things. And I'm very honored to welcome back Derek Bros. Thank you for joining me, sir. Thanks for having me on again, Mel. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it so much. A lot of people don't know that you've been covering something for the last two weeks uh, that is very important to them and their children and our country and the world, basically. Uh, if you could tell my audience a little bit about what you've been doing and uh, where you are. Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. So um, I am still here in San Francisco, um, where I've been for the last 15 days. I'll be heading home tomorrow morning but i've been here for the last 15 days now covering this second phase of the fluoride lawsuit and uh you know just to kind of summarize what the fluoride lawsuit is it started in 2016 when uh, some plaintiffs which were some mothers who uh, they have their own stories about how they realized that fluoride exposure was negatively impacting their children including one mother who uh, has an autistic son and found a connection between that and those mothers and the Fluoride Action Network, they, in 2016, filed a petition under a U.S. law called the Toxic Substance Control Act, which allows for regular people like us to file petitions if we believe that there is a particular chemical or compound that is toxic and that is that we're be, that people are being exposed to. So, you know, this is one of the things that was put in place, I guess, to make regular people think that the government is there to help us and here you have a mechanism if you ever need to. But unfortunately, um, as the Fluoride Action Network and these mothers found when they filed the petition, the EPA was very quick. This petition in their case was saying that fluoride was a neurotoxin, that it does cause harm. Fluoride being, of course, the um, the byproduct of aluminum phosphate mining. Uh, there's a naturally occurring fluoride. There's the hydrofluorosilicic acid that most people are more familiar with that is added to the city water supply all across the United States. But both the naturally occurring and this byproduct of phosphate mining have, over the decades, um, shown all kinds of different issues um, related to harm of humans, including thyroid problems, bone problems, hip problems, liver problems, kidney problems, and then what this trial is specifically dealing with, the neurocognitive stuff. Studies that have shown loss of IQ in children who are exposed to fluoride while in the mother's womb, and even after the mother's womb, um, studies linking ADHD to fluoride. And so there's a whole lot of range of problems associated with fluoride, but the, the uh, reason I'm here is because the EPA denied the petition of the plaintiffs in the Fluoride Action Network, which they were asking the EPA to ban fluoride, and they presented all sort of ev evidence saying, look, it's clearly a neurotoxin. This is you know, something you should regulate or ban or do something about. The EPA denies the petition, and that began this whole journey that we're on here and still in 2024. Uh, basically, it turned into a lawsuit at the Fluoride Action Network, sued the EPA, and then in 2020, the first phase of this lawsuit actually, you know, went went to trial <clears throat> here in San Francisco, but it was over Zoom because of COVID at that time. And this is the first time ever, which I think is a really interesting story itself, that is the first time ever that uh, a successful petition, citizens have been able to sue the EPA through this petition process. And not only that, made it all the way to a federal court, which is where we are now, with uh, federal judge Edward Chen, uh, who is 
here in San Francisco. And so, the, as I said, the first phase happened in 2020. The judge put it on hold after about two weeks of testimony back then. And there was already some really explosive things that came out then. But there were some more studies being worked on. And the judge said, hey, let's put this on hold until this new study comes out. Because at the time, it seemed like it would maybe be six months to a year before the study came out. So the judge said, let's just wait before we make this ruling. And you know, fast forward a couple of years, and the study still hadn't come out. Uh, and the really other unique thing about this petition process, and I was learning more about this last night, talking with Michael Conant, who's the lead attorney for the Floyd Action Network, yeah. is that they were allowed, they were given the ability to do what's called discovery. And if any, you know, understand legal cases and discovery, you can ask for all kinds of stuff. You get access to all kinds of things. So they've been able to use that discovery process, use the uh, Freedom of Information Act request process, and get access to all kinds of emails from the CDC, from the Department of Health and Human Services, like all kinds of stuff. And what we found in that interim period between 2020 and now, they actually obtained emails showing that behind the scenes, that study we were waiting on that never came out, right. behind the scenes, the CDC and uh, Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel slash Richard Levine, um, is in these emails is named as having blocked the release of this report from the National Toxicology Program. And the National Toxicology Program, the draft version that we had, that they we now know based on these emails that they said in May 2022, they believe was, was good to go, was ready to release to the public. When those scientists were preparing to do their job and release this report, which found in their own words that fluoride exposure leads to, uh, there's an association between fluoride exposure and lower IQ in children. That while they were preparing to release this report behind the scenes, people at the CDC's oral health division and then at the uh, health and human services department were communicating, saying this is never going to come out. We're going to, you know, and so they've basically put all these roadblocks in front of this report. It's been reviewed more times than any other report, uh, and it still has not come out. We have because wow. of this lawsuit, we have the draft version of it. And that has thankfully the judge has said, OK, we'll we'll use the draft version. We'll allow that as evidence in court, because I think he's starting to realize this that you know there's some political interference so you know to kind of wrap up this summary of where we're at now as things just began after all that stuff we just restarted january 31st 2024 so we've had nine days of trial which just ended yesterday uh, here tuesday and um now you know and i can share more about what what actually took place in those days but now where it's at is the judge said he wanted a week to study all the data, you know, because this is also unique because this is a situation where a federal judge from the law is being asked to judge science. And obviously he's not a scientist. Right. So that's something the government really doesn't like. They don't think, of course, the judge should be able to overrule their science, but it, the judge has that power in this moment. So he said he wanted to take a week off to study all the data and all the evidence. And there was five witnesses presented by the Fluoride Action Network and three more presented by the government. So he's gonna review all that. And then next Tuesday, there's going to be another uh, hearing, but it'll be by Zoom, and that'll basically be for closing arguments from the Fluoride Action Network and closing arguments from the EPA. And then the judge will presumably take another week or two or month or who knows how long, and then he will make a ruling on whether or not they have proven their case that fluoride is a neurotoxin. And if so, it could be the end of water fluoridation. There will still be a process that has to happen that right. would probably take years, but that alone, already what has happened, I think, is, is historic and is big, and that's why I think... It's unfortunate, and it's probably the reason why that there's no mainstream coverage at all. Not a single article in any major publication even mentioning this. The only mention you find 
the biggest one so far has been science magazine wrote an article about it which is still it's like a very kind of niche audience right. and then Bloom, bloomberg law which is like a subscription service for basically lawyers so it's not really getting seen by a lot of people uh so that's why i'm real grateful that you have me on here because i think even you know there's not so many people even in the independent alternative media who are aware this is taking place yeah. Well, it's a really big deal. And it's an even bigger deal because of what we learned during COVID and the back door, back channels between the CDC and, and Fauci and the NIH and all of the stuff. And then goes into what you're talking about now, that all of that was also coordinated with big tech and uh, and, and, you know, this uh, what I call the trusted news network. Uh, to suppress all everything that was out there. So this isn't a surprise. Um, and I think maybe two years ago, three years ago, people would think, well, why would the CDC and the Health and Human Services and the EPA like collude to squash this information to why wouldn't they want this out there? This should, you know, like we all used to think that, you know, the government or HHS or whatever, they're in there in it for our health. But we've learned uh, as, as you've done great reporting, not just on this, but on COVID and the vaccine and everything else. But that is not the case. So when when you talk about the study, who is doing the study and who is funding the study? Because that that now matters a lot more to people than it used to. When you you know look at the Bill Gates funding studies for vaccines, you think, well, who else is doing studies? I want to see those. Sure. Yeah. You know that's that's been one of the uh, more interesting aspects of it. Well, I'll say this for anybody who does want to get caught up on what has already taken place, you can visit my website, theconsciousresistance.com, and I've released about five different interviews from three of the scientists who are the expert witnesses for the Floyd Action Network, um, and then interview with Michael Connett, who's the lead attorney, and an interview with one of the mothers who is the plaintiffs, her name's Brenda. So you can get a full load on, on you know, their kind of scientific perspective. And I did make an effort to interview the government scientists. Neither one of them would agree to an interview, which was not surprising, but, um, you know, kind of just shows you the differences in, in both sides of the, the science. And, you know, that was, I think, what was so interesting is, and we saw this, like you mentioned, like with COVID and with, with the vaccine issue with other things is, you know, both sides, if we're going to break it down that way, yeah. both perspectives yeah. um, have their experts. And clearly in a legal case, they literally both have experts. And, you know, the judge's job is to hear one expert say this thing, and then the other expert come up and literally try to make that expert sound crazy. And here's why that doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and keep up with it. And then, of course, my job as a journalist, what I've been doing, I've, in addition to the uh, videos I've done over the conscious resistance, I've written, uh, I wrote uh, one article and I have a new one coming out today, Wednesday, about week one and a week two, and just kind of describing the key points that if you want to get caught up, because we're in there from 8.30 to 1.30, so it's five hours for the last nine days. It's over 40 hours of just legal and scientific jargon and i'm my job as a journalist is to be in there I'm, I'm live tweeting it out i'm taking notes and i'm trying to kind of whittle sometimes these big broad conversations down to like what is actually going to make sense to somebody reading this on the internet what's the easiest way to explain this and that's not always that's sometimes easier said than done because we are talking about like detailed science margin of exposure point of departure benchmark dose analysis you know there's all these different terms that i'm learning on the fly some that i've become familiar with through my other research right but uh, and not necessarily particularly related to fluoride so it's been intriguing in that way and you know you talk about like who's funding the studies the study i was mentioning earlier the national toxicology program one that is u.s government study so that's being funded by nih and that's what's Kind of even more surprising about this and yeah. what i think is really beautiful about some of the emails that michael and his team were able to get because 
not only do they show these emails where you see this coordination with government agencies who are worried about this study coming out, but you also see the scientists themselves like really making an effort to say like, our study is ready for release. We've reviewed it. Like these are people who are genuinely, these are the scientists that we want to hear from, you know, because as, as you know, we're often promoted. Anybody who asks these questions, fluoride, vaccines, question COVID, you're, you know, we're part of this alleged anti-science movement, right? right. We just don't, right. don't trust the science. But in fact, most of the people I know are actually very much believers in the scientific method, and they are just skeptical of the science that's coming from government and from corporations and such. And and that you could kind of see that on display here. You see government scientists in this case, and they're all kind of concentrated in one particular area. It essentially seems to come down to you have the environmental toxicologists and environmental epidemiologists who are actually saying like, this is a neurotoxin, like the data shows it. And then you have the CDC's oral health division, the American Dental Association and other dental interests, as well as there's industrial influences who are the ones providing the right. actual fluoride yeah, right, the phosphate course, yeah, mines. So, but in terms of actual the government research, it seems like it's the environmental ep um, epidemiologists, environmental toxicologists saying fluoride is, a, is harmful and we need to be paying attention to this. And there are the dental interests, dental scientists, dental, uh, you know, kind of health that are the ones who are pushing back and doing everything they can to uh, protect this, you know, this thing. Because fluoride, along with vaccines, is listed as one of the top 10 health achievements of the 20th century. So they, this is another one of their big topics that they don't want to admit they were wrong. And not only that, but the potential for class action lawsuits for having been promoting fluoride for the last 80 years is, is really worrisome for them too. But in, in, you know, in terms of some of the other studies, we have the government presenting, for example, uh, a study that came out just within the last two years. And, and I will say this, I'm super skeptical of all these studies that just start appearing during the trial, right? It's like, this is to me an example. We don't have the hard evidence yet because we don't have the emails like they obtained in some of these other situations, but you could, it's not that hard to imagine somebody in the government saying, hey, this lawsuit's going on. We need as good positive evidence of fluoride as possible to be published before the trial resumes. So then the EPA can say, hey, judge, we have this new study. Can we submit this into evidence? And, and that's basically what they did. And there's this new study that came out in the last year or so. And it's by this Dr. Jesus Ibarliza. And it's a Spanish study based in Spain in this one specific, the Basque area of Spain. And this study, believe it or not, actually claims that fluoride exposure can increase boys IQ by 25 points. Oh, come on. Like, like literally, like I, I, would, I was just like, I can't believe they're actually bringing this in there. And the judge, it would, that was the other thing too, is the judge really genuinely, from my perspective, seemed to be trying to get to the truth. Like he didn't seem like, okay, from the beginning, it's clear the judge is favoring the government. Like we're screwed. There's no hope. And it wasn't like, Hey, he's totally on our side. You know, he's just being real easy to the flight action network. He, he was asking like hard questions to both sides. He would ask them to stop and say, hold on. Okay. I'm getting lost. Explain that to me again. Like he was genuinely trying to understand the science and trying to like get it all. And he would have questions. Like, for example, he was asking the EPA, um, you know, how, how does this make sense? We have all this other data that from the low bias to high risk studies and from the, the studies with high confidence and low confidence, they all seem to be pointing in the direction that there is some problem with fluoride. Like, you know, whether you want to, like the debate was basically about that. What, at what level does the harm start? The government has finally acknowledged. And I think this is a big step that above 1.5 milligrams per liter, which is more than what most U S cities have 
that at that level, there are harms. Like they're, they're acknowledging there's definitely harms up and above beyond that level, but that's all they'll admit to. They're saying like, oh, the closer we get to 0.7 milligrams per liter, which is what the CDC recommends, it's less clear and it's less fuzzy and we need more science. It just, just kind of keep kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Just like, oh, we need more data. We, you, you shouldn't be able to make a, a ruling judge because it's too unclear. That's been their whole goal of their experts is just to paint as much uncertainty in the judge's mind so that he can't feel, he doesn't feel like, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, like he can say, hey, fluoride is a neurotoxin. And But I don't think they've been as successful because he was even asking them, if you have all these other studies showing these harms, how can this one study right. show fluoride's increasing IQ? He's like, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make much sense. And so it was, it was good to see the judge was skeptical and they never really had any major answers. But yeah, so we're seeing, and that was kind of the, the just the overall interesting thing is keeping up with all the studies because fluoride is one of the most studied compounds in, in history and in, in the world. That's that's why it's so crazy that we're even still here. And Mel, really the crazy thing to me is that uh, one of the expert witnesses of um, the Fluoride Action Network, who I interviewed is Dr. Philippe Grandjean. He's a Danish scientist, uh, epidemiologist. His work on mercury is actually the work that the EPA used to set their um, oh. toxicity levels for mercury. So this is like an expert of experts who's, who works at Harvard, been published in all these places, editor of these journals, you know, somebody that they can't discredit. And he came to, to testify in person. I got to um, interview him and his studies, his his work is largely kind of inspired by this other Danish scientist named Kai Roham, who I'd never heard of before. He was alive in the 1930s and wow. he studied fluoride toxicity back then in the 1930s. He went to Greenland where there are these mines, uh, it's called this mineral called cryolite. And I guess as part of the mining process, fluoride is released. So he went and studied the cryolite mining workers back in the 1930s. And he published a book in 1937, almost 100 years ago. Uh, he was the first person to discover skeletal fluorosis, that being exposed to fluoride at high levels that it stores in your bones and the bones kind of become hardened, but they're also at the same time, paradoxically, very brittle and can break very easily. But they, he said, like when he tried to do x-rays, it was like marble. They couldn't even see through their rib cages and things like that. And so this, this data has been out there. Like that's one of the most frustrating things is we are finding out new information through this case, but in 2006, the National Research Council, which is also funded by the U.S. government, was one of the first institutions to come out and say there is an association with lower IQ and fluoride. So it's been, again, another 20 years to get to this point. And clearly the EPA has no interest in acting on it. They're sitting here in a courtroom trying to convince this federal judge that, yes, there's some harm, but we shouldn't do anything. It's too uncertain. And what the Fluoride Action Network and what I've what I've learned is the way the EPA has in the past and is supposed to make these uh, hazard assessments of toxicity is they use what's called an uncertainty factor of 10. So let's say you find, let's just pick an arbitrary number. Let's say they found that fluoride was toxic and they could point, pinpoint it perfectly right at 0.6 or something, 0.5, or let's say something like lower, lower than what the government recommends. Right. So 0.2. Well, either way, you're supposed to apply an uncertainty factor of times 10 and you multiply that times 10 to account for the most vulnerable populations for the people who have kidney diseases and things who can't properly dispose of toxins like fluoride and others. Like most of us, if you have a functioning, fairly healthy system, you can get a, you know, drink a glass of fluoride. Your body will still filter out some of it. But the other thing is, of course, fluoride actually stores in your bones. So um, if we were to go get our bones tested, if you've been exposed to it quite a bit, or if you spend most of your life drinking it or showering it, you probably will find traces of it in your bones. And uh, so, you know, 
the information, the data, it's it's right there in front of us. They're trying their hardest to let people see it. I mean, I think that's what's so frustrating to me is that people like Dr. Grangine and others have been ringing the alarm bells about this and you still have the EPA and they're trying to deny that it, it's even taking place when there's all these, you know, this, this lawsuit is of course very focused on the neurotoxicity because that's what their petition was about. So they can't really get into some of the other issues. They've sort of mentioned them briefly, but mainly it's been focused on uh, lowering of IQ, ADHD and the thyroid because the thyroid actually does affect um, IQ function, uh, cognitive function as well. And that alone is just so disturbing. I have some more I'll share, but I'll, I'll let you uh, comment yeah. because there's definitely some stuff I want to share about the pregnant mothers that I think is really important. Yeah, I think it is really important. And another thing, you know, there was a ruling about the EPA not too long ago in the Supreme Court questioning their authority at all to do do anything, which I, I mean, again and again, we find the EPA blocking uh, things like this. Now, now a, a bigger question that we all, after uh, the last three years, like to think about is, what is the lobby in D.C. that um, that would be uh, lobbying for fluoride? I mean, obviously, this is a lot to do with whoever's uh, whoever has the deal with the government to, uh, you know, uh, give fluoride to all the water water uh, processing plants, whatever wherever it goes into the water. Um, who is that? Is that a, a company that is a chemical company? Is it a. Um, you know, a, a Pfizer-esque type company. Who who is there? There's that? a couple of them. There's and there's probably this is definitely another area that uh, needs to be studied better. And definitely, you're giving me some ideas of another a new research project to because we we I asked this to Michael Connett, the lead attorney, and he um, I'll share what he said because I think this is probably the most accurate answer we have right now. Historically, we have a lot more information about who was involved in the beginning of the fluoridation program because there's a great book that delves into this called the fluoride deception by a journalist named Christopher Bryson, who is now in his 70s. And he actually joined the kind of anti-fluoridation movement accidentally because in the 90s, he was writing an article for the Christian Science Monitor uh, website or art, uh, magazine at the time. And it was about water fluoridation. He started just learning about all these special interests that are involved and they refused to publish it. And that kind of woke him up. And then he decided to publish it independently on the Internet in the early days and then ended up writing a book called The Fluoride Deception that goes into this history. And from the very beginning, there, you had um, so you have aluminum phosphate mining industry who, as they're doing their mining, fluoride is released as a, a byproduct of that. And there's stories you can find, for example, I remember one in uh, New Jersey where uh, one of these companies was nearby and they're supposed to have these scrubbers at the top of the pipes that come, when, the, when the toxins come out, it's supposed to grab it and keep that from going to the air. Well, there was an accident where the scrubbers weren't working or maybe even before they realized that how toxic it was. The point is the, it, it was coming out from these pipes up into the air and there was an incident in New Jersey where a bunch of it got out and it poisoned these farms and it was made the news and everything. These farmers, all their crops died, their cows, they said their bones were messed up or they were like falling over, just all kinds of stuff. And the government started secretly studying, this is covered in the book, secretly studying fluoride then. Uh, there's one called, I think, the Newberg experiment or the new, I can't remember the name of it. But so there's early examples where they clearly knew that fluoride was was harmful and was a toxin, uh, toxic chemical. and then you have people like Edward Bernays, who was involved in the marketing campaign behind fluoride. Really? He, people who wow. know him. Yeah, he, he definitely played a role in that. He helped work with the American Dental Association to craft this idea. This is when they basically started saying, look, according to studies, because 
you had uh, lawsuits after some of those the toxins were released and they harmed the farmers. There were some lawsuits, but they kind of kept it quiet. They didn't really um, it didn't really you know make the mainstream, so to speak, back then. And then after the gov- that, the government started coming up and creating these studies, which I think were total bullshit studies to say fluoride is good for your teeth and it hardens your teeth because it does harden your bones. Like I was saying earlier, right. but, I mean, it's good you know. for maybe your teeth, <laughs> but what about and brain even, and everything I think else? That's even debatable. I, right. I definitely think that's even debatable because there's some, there was the Cochrane review back in 2012. I want to say sometime in the last decade, they did a, a big review on all the fluoride data. And they said that theirs was inconclusive that it even helps with cavities. Like, but it does str- like harden bones. Right. Like I was saying with Dr. Grangine earlier, so, you know, that maybe can have some net benefit, but you have to think about like the benefit versus the, the you know, the, the cost. And is here. there an alternative too? is there an alternative to that might even be cheaper? Think, the, the scarier thing there definitely is, is. Yeah. And the scarier thing is that the dental association that is is really in your face on this topic. They make a fortune off of off of oh, yeah. this product and off of keeping the status quo that they've had for a very long time. A lot of people overlook the uh, American Dental Association while they point at the American Medical Association. Uh, we should be pointing at anything that is standing in the way of a study like this to improve health uh, at the, oh, yeah. for the good of what? You know, you, you want that full spectrum uh, situation. Now, um, it's funny after I, cause you've been reco- reporting this a long time. I'd read something you wrote a long time ago and then I was in Grand Rapids and there was a huge plaque that was like that this was the first place that they yeah. put um, uh, fluoride in the water. Me and Rob were like, uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like was, Ford is all already... there. And, and uh, the, you know, oh all gosh. the, there's a lot in Grand Rapids that you think like, oh, well, I'm not surprised. But um, the truth is that this has been going on for a really long time. And as you've reported on many other topics and great journalists that you work with, especially at uh, Last American Vagabond, all of you have been pointing to the slow and consistent uh, dumbing down and poisoning uh, over many years, over many different ways and, and you know, obviously vaccines. But the fluoride thing, I think, was common knowledge and it got buried like you're talking about. And I think like this is another follow the money situation as well, because whoever's behind yeah. the fluoride um, lobby is probably who is trying to um, silence this. Now, about the back channel um, emails that came out in um, in court. This is a very uh, to anyone that you know just woke up to this stuff and and saw the proof of Fauci and and all the uh, vaccine and the Wuhan emails back and forth. Was it reminiscent? Was it a similar kind of situation where they were like, you know, this is happening. We have to cover. We got to do something. Was it a panic situation? Because that would tell you it, how much money is involved. <laughs> it definitely seemed like there was um, like they in the emails. Of course, they did their best to you know, not say anything too, too obvious, like, Hey, shut this thing down or whatever. But they're like, one of them, I can't, if I remember, and I have all this at last American vagabond, if you guys go to check out my author page, you can see a page specifically with all my fluoride articles for the last four years. Um, And in one of those emails, they do say something like as explicit as this study is clearly not coming out on May 8th, whatever the date was May 18th. Like, so they were making it clear from the beginning, like literally when you could look at the timeline, it was within moments of the uh, NTP scientists saying like, we're ready to go, we're ready to publish. And they were making it clear. They're like, we're going to publish on our public server. It's going to be posted here, like doing what they would normally do. And then you got these emails kind of in the back end saying like, this isn't going to happen. And the other interesting thing, you know, to what we were talking about a moment ago about the, the, the dental interest those emails actually show as well that before 
the uh, Fluoride Action Network and the plaintiffs, the lawyers were actually given some of the documentation related to the NTP report before they were even given it. The emails show that it was emailed to the American Dental Association. So they actually, you know, so there's clearly like the scientists at the CDC and the HHS are working very closely with the American Dental Association, the American Dental Association being one of the biggest promoters of, of uh, fluoridation in terms yeah. of dental health. And so there's there's clearly a connection and relationship there where they're like, hey, look, check this out. Look what they're about to release. So all the different pro-fluoridation forces have been watching and paying attention to this. And I think it is, as I said at the beginning, their preferred kind of um, method is just to like, don't talk about it, just act like it's not happening. Don't even, you know, write hit pieces about the fluoride lawsuit, these crazy people, like they're just, let's not even act like it's happening. Let's exactly. just pretend it's not there right. and hope that it goes under the radar and most people never even know that it happened. And they're probably just hoping the judge rules in their favor and then that's it and it goes away and most people never hear the data that's come out here. But, you know, you mentioned the fluoride lobby. Uh, the If you only watch one interview, I encourage everybody to go to my website and watch the interview with Dr. Granjing. Uh, I'll link it. I'll link Scientist. it here. I'll link okay, it great. That. Thank you. There's a, And I've put some clips out on Twitter of these, like just some of the short ones. And there's two points that he mentioned that I just really want to uh, share with you guys for those who are new to this information or maybe – familiar with the idea of government corruption, but not really specifically in terms of fluoride. So Dr. Granjin, again, one of the most credentialed scientists in this um, in this lawsuit from Denmark, works at Harvard, has all these experiences, has been invited to the World Health Organization, you know, the EPA's used his work, all this different stuff. But he's also been very vocal about there being a fluoride lobby. That's the word that he used. That's the way he, he told me. And I wanted to interview him for multiple reasons, but one of them was to follow up with what he said in the 2020 first phase of the trial when he was testifying. I was at home watching on Zoom reporting, and he said something just kind of offhandedly. He's like, well, um, uh, whenever I was at Harvard, people didn't want me to talk about fluoride. He just kind of said that and didn't, didn't elaborate. And then another statement, he said, well, when I was working at the World Health Organization, the fluoride lobby had clearly infiltrated it. And that just has stuck in my head since then. And it's like nobody followed up with him. And unfortunately, in the court case, the judge is more interested in the science. Like he doesn't want to hear about, like, for example, the judge allowed the, the NTP report to be discussed, but he said there could be no discussion about the emails. So, you know, Michael kind of hasn't been able to bring up anything related to the political interference, which I think is a mistake because yeah, it's yes, important. it's the science that matters, but how can you talk to the judge about the science if you can't say judge behind the scenes, there's this corruption going on with the science they want you to pay attention to. Isn't that the but problem all the time? I mean, that's where we, that's where we get all the time. These siloed <laughs> trials that only give you a piece of what's going on when you, when you follow the money, which you do I a lot agree. and I do a lot, you get a lot bigger picture. And we've and after exactly. this last three years, I don't understand how anyone doesn't see that unless they willfully do not want to. You know, the, let me ask you about the scientist, because you know what it sounds like to me? Uh, the insider, the Russell uh, Crowe movie about the guy that was telling them, the scientist that was telling them that cigarettes cause cancer and they like mm -hmm. ruined his life and destroyed him. And I mean, yeah. a, it's a horrible story, but I'm hearing this about this guy. And I wonder, I mean, maybe he didn't tell you, but I'm wondering if he's got pressure to just sit down and shut up and and all of that he, he has that's what so, it sounds like so this is what he told me so i just wanted to mention that like by the way that yeah they didn't even allow any of this discussion to the court which i think is not a good not thing right. but either way the judge has been neutral otherwise but so what dr granjin told me though what when i asked him to elaborate i said you know you mentioned this in 2020 could you share a little more and i have 
both of those things are in the interview. He discusses his time at Harvard, um, where he said he had started to research this topic of the association of fluoride with IQ. And so he started to collect data. He had some research assistants. And then before he knows it, like one of his colleagues who he didn't name by, he didn't give their name, came to him and basically said like, hey, this, you need to stop with this research. Like it's, we're not going to, we're not going to publish it or it's not, you know, they wanted to like update it and make changes. And he was just like, what are you talking about? This is, you know, I'm just, I'm doing my research. He, he said he'd never experienced anything like that before. And then this person went to the Dean of Harvard, actually into the Dean of like his specific school at Harvard and had them make a public statement reaffirming that Harvard supported the CDC's position on, on water fluoridation. Wow. And basically he said, like, uh, he ended up telling me, he's like, you know, they came back and wanted to make more changes. And in the end, he said, because they couldn't agree on what he called academic freedom, he decided to leave Harvard. So that's one wow. thing that like, that's he, important he, too. see all of these, we can't, if we're going, you have a, I, there's a couple other things that I want to talk about. So I want you to, to fill us in on uh, the rest. And then after we'll have you back, because I want to sure, ask sure. you something else important um, that you've been doing. But um, the scary part here is if we don't start allowing all of that into court, which is the back end stuff, the financial stuff, the who benefits, who, you know, who's pay, who's what's who's what's the lobby doing? Who's being threatened? All of that stuff tells you something's very wrong here. And it's not just about, you know, is fluoride bad or not? It's also about something far bigger in terms of corruption. And that we keep doing these things. You've reported on many a lot of this in the last 10 years or so about the corruption aspect of all of these things, especially in, in the health world, where it sh there should be no corruption at all. It should be about it. Does this help or hurt humans, period? And that should be the. the what everyone cares about, but it's not. And and we know that going back, you know, 100 years, if not more. But the truth is that um, these cases, uh, this is why I'm so glad that you're covering it, because these cases time and again, when they do get any coverage at all, which you're doing, you're always going to find that there is a corruption angle. There is a uh, the scientists are siloed or threatened or shut down. And um, there's a back channel of you know, we need to squash this. And if that's going on, then there's a bigger picture. And I think not, well, not that we can do something now, but judges that don't want to hear that are either willfully uh, not wanting to go there for whatever reason, maybe their own their own career or their own threats. But I mean, how many times are we going to see this where we're in a situation and a whole big part of the picture, which you're covering right now, um, is denied to the public and the public has no no ability to be actually skeptical because there's reason to be skeptical. Hey, Mel Kay here. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is my preferred choice for gold and silver. Head on over to the Mel Kay Show Partners page and click on the tab for Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Silver and gold are God's money. They're a great way to fight against inflation and keep your hard-earned savings safe. With the national debt out of control, runaway government spending and printing, inflation continues to soar. Beverly Hills Precious Metals can help you shield your wealth from volatility in the markets. Protect yourself today. Go to the MelKShow.com partners page. Click on Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Fill out the form and let's get started. Protect yourself, protect your family, and protect your future. And, and I mean, I think that more people are aware of these different political influences that play a role in, in industries like Floyd. I mean, I, I don't think it's probably going to be too surprising to too many people. But like you were saying earlier, with people choosing to speak up and it causing problems in their lives. Yeah. This is why I'm, I was so like I told Dr. Grandi and I was like, you know, to me and probably more people out here, you're a hero. Like you're choosing yeah. to speak up 
And he's in a position where he's an older gentleman. He probably feels like they can't mess with him anymore. He's got tenure at his university. He's pretty chill like now. So he feels a little bit more free, I think, to, to speak out about this. But I will say after he told me what I just shared with you in the interview, when we wrapped up, he kind of stood there for a moment, like deep in thought. He asked me, he's like, where's this going to go out? And I said, you know, the Internet everywhere, like, you right, know, all right. over the place. Right, and right. and he said he just again, he stopped. He was he was clearly like thinking hard about this. And then he said, OK, because some people at Harvard are going to be mad at me. And I said, you know, I, I gave him a chance. I said, do you not want me to? release that part you know or like i i won't put that in the headline or something like that i was like but he did he just kind of sat there and he didn't say anything and so i gave him a chance i even reached out to him the next day before i released it and i wasn't able to get in touch with him but you know he knew he was on the record but he definitely was having i don't want to say second thoughts but he was giving some thought to the fact of like what he just said and how it might impact your member who might be upset and the other thing i want to share that i think is even more of a big bombshell uh, that he said is again the comments about the fluoride lobby and I, I pulled up the quote because i want to quote him directly i asked him like what did he mean when he when he said in 2020 that the fluoride lobby had infiltrated the who and he said quote the who asked me to help them develop what they call an environmental health criteria document on fluoride so i drafted that document that reviewed the sources of fluoride in the environment including drinking water animal data uh, epidemiologic data and they inserted changes in my draft indicating that fluoride could perhaps be toxic, but only at immense concentrations. I protested and I said that in accordance with the scientific documentation, it would be wrong to insert the word immense. And so the WHO published a document without my name because I asked to have my name taken out. And then they inserted some other colleague's name as the author of the draft, which is of course erroneous. But that was what the WHO felt was necessary in order to protect the interests of water fluoridation. Plausible deniability. They're, they're great at that, right? I mean, it's just yeah, so, so I mean, sad. <laughs> that to me is just like, I mean, again, we know the, the who's corrupt, like big surprise, right? But I think it's, a, and I think we probably talked about this before in one of our previous interviews. I think it's one thing to sort of kind of abstractly know the government is corrupt in some way and then have stories like that like have the details, like somebody speaking out and saying like, yeah, you're right. And here's what I experienced directly because now for me as a journalist, it makes me more curious to, and to dig in a little further. Well, who was that colleague and who was the one that went to the Dean and who were the people, you know, can you give me names even off the record? Then that leads to more research of who are those people. Right. And then it's like, you kind of get a little bit closer to maybe somebody who can be exposed who can right. be held accountable or at the very least the public knows, Hey, so-and-so is the one that killed that report or said this thing or did this thing, right? Instead of it just being some sort of the government did this, you know, right. like we actually have answers. Like It's funny. I, uh, I talk a lot. There's uh Hannah Arendt wrote this uh, essay, um, responsibility and judgment about that, where if everyone's guilty, nobody's guilty. So every time that we go after, an, a, you know, say the FBI and, or we go after, you know, the CDC or we go after one of these things, if nobody's telling you the name of the actual person involved, then they then there really is no no accountability. There's never any justice for a agency or a bureaucracy. There's only justice for an individual that has, you know, betrayed the trust of the public. 
Okay, there's my video. So, you know what I'm saying? So, so the whole idea that, you know, an organization is guilty means, means no, there will never be accountability. And we keep doing this over and over, especially in America. I mean, how many hearings are we going to have on the weaponization of government or on, you know, did the FBI do this or did the CDC lie or no, 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 actual people did it. And if you don't name the actual people and go go for the people and put their names out, because that actual the person that comes to the top probably isn't the person doing it. There's probably somebody above them. So it's like cogs in the wheel. You know, you never get to the point. This is why we for decades we've had no accountability in anything our government has done, because we're never going after the specific person who made the call to, to squash the study. Who made the call to watch the study and exactly. why did they do that? And that's why your reporting is so important because people have to understand this is fluoride. But there's many topics we could go into with the same, uh, you know, kind of method. I once had on a scientist a long time ago in his 80s, and he said that he has a long list of scientists and researchers from academia that mysteriously died or were taken off of projects or as soon as they got close to a patent, the thing was shut down. A lot of times the way they do that is they silo people into different universities, as we saw with COVID, and they don't know what the other guy's doing. And they don't know what the other guy's doing, but there's somebody above them that's very clear on what is is going on. They're just keeping it siloed so that these scientists or researchers don't know. So, I mean, this is a, a major level of corruption. The the hard part here is that we have seen um, decline in IQ. We've seen obviously autism, this rise in in ADHD, which is debatable. All of these things that are in this specific case, because this isn't about all the other health health things. There is no way to deny that since this being started being, um, you know, basically unchallenged practice of putting fluoride in the water on and and nobody can say that in and this is county by county that they're doing it all over the country think about the amount of money it is to to ship the fluoride to pour into the water supply to i mean there's a lot of money and and business involved here lots of contractors all of that but you know at, at the bottom line here too is that um it's very clear that something has happened to our children. And yeah. I want you to talk about the, uh, the pregnancy. I want to speak about that. Yeah. So I think that this is probably, you know, first I'll just share this, Mel. Like when I first started to wake up in 2009, 2010, Floyd was one of the first topics that I really woke up to. You know, I, I will credit InfoWars for that. Back then they had the, there's poison in the tap water, like yeah. posters everywhere. And that was one of the first things I heard about, did some research, learned about Christopher Bryson's book and dove into enough to sort of, all right, I'm changing my habits. I'm not drinking or cooking with that water anymore. We're going to do reverse osmosis and all this sort of stuff. I started a a group called Fluoride Free Houston. I think in 2013, we started going to city council, doing the whole thing. We didn't really get very far because the the mayor's like, hey, I love the CDC and whatever. So this is something that I've cared about since the early days of my activism and to now it kind of feels like a full circle moment to sort of come back like as a journalist to be one of only two people here reporting in the courtroom the only other person is uh uh brenda belletti i think is her name from children's health defense she's been in here as well and i'm grateful for that but other than that there's just been supporters of fluoride action network and the government people and there's been no other reporting or anything as i mentioned but it feels like a full circle moment and not only that being here and kind of just getting even a deeper dive into the fluoride data, the more recent studies has in a way sort of reinvigorated my desire to expose this, this horrible issue in this. And, and part of it is because of the information I'm about to share with you. You know, I, I've told you before, I have six nieces and nephews and the youngest is only five years old. 
and you know, the, my, I try to talk to the, my family about this because it, all the young ones are being impacted by, we all are, but obviously the younger you are, the more you're developing in those uh, important stages. So it's very crucial to not be exposed to toxic chemicals at that point in your life and your neurodevelopmental stage. And that is what we are seeing is that there's overwhelming evidence despite the EPA trying to fight it, showing that fluoride is a neurotoxin. Dr. Granji was saying like there, you know, he's kind of narrowed it down to like, if you're getting exposed to a couple of milligrams of fluoridated water over, I can't remember the period of time he mentioned it's in my interview, you know, you can expect a couple of loss of IQ points. Like he's saying it's that strong, it's that prevalent. And like the connect, the associations are getting more and more clear. And so there was two things that they discussed in terms of the IQ and pregnancy that I really want to share. And one of them is, just in general, you know, when a woman is pregnant with her baby, the baby is consuming all of its nutrients and everything directly from the mother. We all know this. Everything that the mother consumes is going right into the baby. And everybody understands how important that is, that the mom's eating good and getting good vitamins and everything so the baby can be strong. The data that they were showing shows that the intake of fluoride for the baby in the womb, it increases by the third trimester. And there's a few reasons they believe this is because women are drinking more water and consuming more liquids as they get further along in their pregnancy. So if you're drinking fluoridated water, you're drinking, consuming more fluoride as you get further along. Um, your baby in the third trimester starts to form its own skeletal structure as well. The baby's skeletal structure is, again, 100% dependent on the mother's nutrients and the mother's skeletal structure. The baby actually pulls calcium from the mom's bones to start building its own skeletal structure. But as I mentioned earlier, fluoride deposits in the bones. So if the mom is consuming all this fluoridated water, not only is just it naturally flowing right through her, past the placenta, into the placenta, through the blood-brain barrier, but it's storing fluoride in her bones. And then in that third trimester, she's drinking all this fluoridated water and the baby is starting to form its skeletal structure. It's pooling calcium and fluoride because fluoride does displace calcium in the bones uh, and in directly into the baby. So, I mean, that is where this damage is being done, like right, right in that stage. So it's so important that anybody hearing this who knows a woman who's pregnant right now or is trying to be pregnant to get them to understand this data as soon as possible. Fluoridelawsuit.com slash science has all the studies that are a part of this. It's it's ran by one of the mothers, Brenda, who is one of the plaintiffs, and she's just on point about this. She has uh, experience um, environmental um environmental uh, assessment and, and just water treatment and things like that. And she's been staying on top of this. I just want to encourage anybody who knows somebody in that position, going to be pregnant soon, thinking about it, or even if the kids are already born and they're still young, get them to stop feeding them and fluoride, get them to stop cooking with uh, fluoridated water. The other thing is that if mothers are not breastfeeding for whatever reason, and they're using the formula, a lot of that formula already contains fluoride in it. Plus it's being typically reconstituted with fluoridated water. And again, that's going straight into the baby. It is so important. I mean, these, we, we will never know, you know, how each of us may have been impacted by this right. or our children, you know, did we lose a few IQ points Are our, our, our achy hips and bones because of fluoride? I mean, there's so many different things that yeah. we know fluoride does cause or can cause, has the potential to cause. And that's, you know, one of the very difficult things about this to, to really pinpoint these, um, you know, the, the direct cause and association with fluoride. But what we can do now, at least, is protect the younger ones who are potentially, you know, in their developmental stages and being exposed to this and 
help them be as strong and bright and beautiful yeah. as possible. And, you know, the other thing I want to share, which was honestly one of the key moments of this trial just happened yesterday. And I'm hoping we get the video of this because it's going to be an epic moment. This was yesterday on the pregnancy issue. The final witness presented by the EPA was Dr. Stanley Barone, who has been, he's a risk assessment scientist. He's worked um, with the NTP. He's, he does have a lot of credentials and experience. And his job that he was brought in to do was basically, like I said earlier, to create uncertainty and doubt in the judge's mind and just like try to downplay all of this. But Michael Conant is an amazing attorney. He's in his uh, mid 40s. He's just a brilliant, brilliant dude. And Floyd Action Network is really lucky to have him on their team. And he knows this case and this science better than anybody I've ever met. And he's he's he thinks quick on his feet too. So he that that's helpful as an attorney. Yeah. And he was questioning Dr. Barone, and really just this was like his final thing to the judge yesterday, right before he wrapped up. And he just. The moment presented itself, and he asked doc, Dr. Barone after we had all this long discussion about Floyd and all the data about pregnancy and this and that. And Dr. Barone admitted that, like, if somebody has an oversaturated kidney or if they have kidney problems, that they might have problem excreting certain toxins, including fluoride. So once Michael Connick got him to establish that fact, he asked him very plainly, Dr. Barone, are you okay then with the fact that? pregnant mothers who have an oversaturated kidney will not be able to, to excrete fluoride from their body. And his answer was the longest five to six, seven minute pause you heard. And the oh, whole courtroom out. just oh, He had to really just, think about how to answer he, he it. Froze. He froze. He just. Oh, yeah. And then in the end, he basically said that his opinion is irrelevant is what his kind of oh. like he wouldn't even answer like but that was such i the judge everybody in the courtroom felt that like it's like in the end despite all this stuff he tried to say to sort of downplay it when michael put him on the spot and said okay so you're okay with the fact that people who are oversaturated their kidney is so much fluoride in it they can't even excrete it from the body yeah. you're okay with that pregnant mothers and he something hit him in his the little bit of humanity he still got in there and he couldn't lie about it he sat there silently in the whole courtroom you could have heard a pen drop like it was such a powerful moment and um as part of this thing going on here and some of the courtrooms it's called cameras in the court we're supposed to actually get the footage i don't know when they're going to post it of the whole trial will be made available so i'm waiting to clip out that moment and share that sure. with the world I'm sure you are. It's interesting. I have a partner and a friend who owns a company, Healthy Hydration, and that's kind of a hydrogen water uh, filter and, and it's a whole system. But I had on a scientist that she had and when he was going over what's in our water, b besides fluoride and how little the EPA tests for, like I think they said 91 uh, toxins or chemicals when there's like 66,000, let alone. And then this water scientist was on my show going through this so much deeper. I mean, this is this guy's whole life. And he was talking all about it. And I seriously, this is even before I saw that you were going back there and they talked about fluoride and everything else. Because there's a lot of other health things involved here because they were talking about chronic fatigue. They were talking about, like you said, kidney issues, osteoporosis. There's all kinds of stuff that you can say 
you know, our water supply. Plus the other thing with the water supply is that there's a lot of drugs in there anyway, from waste, from people throwing them out, all this. So it's really important that people understand that anything added to, to the water at all that's dangerous for you is compounding with whatever else is in there that's dangerous for you. And none of this has to be, as you know, you cover all this stuff more than most people. There's, I'm sure, natural healthy remedies to all this stuff that really just don't make a lot of money <laughs> for people. I mean, usually you can find things that are alternatives uh, that could do the same thing and they're just frowned upon because the powers that be uh, don't see a profit there. So um, your work's extraordinary and uh, I'm going to have you back hopefully next week to do a deep dive on a, a topic that I've been wanting to for a while that you've covered. You're an extraordinary uh, journalist and I know that you came to this by being, uh, you know, somebody who just cared about finding the truth for yourself and then it led to you wanting to find the truth about things that, you know, people would rather not uh, be uh, un uncovered and disclosed. So you're great at that. So before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you one question because I follow you a lot. And um, and one of the things that I'm curious about uh, outside of this is you've done an, a tremendous job and a lot of work in exposing kind of the public-private partnership and what I call now the fifth column that's run that's running our country and um, and destroying it from the inside out, obviously by design. And we have an election coming up, which is very... Uh, you know, it's going to be a crazy, very bad year, I think, in many, many aspects in terms of the battle going on between the powers that be and, and the people they want to silence, obviously us and everyone else with the censorship. But um, you seem to, it, it's just, I'm, re I'm just reading this. You seem to look at these, like, first of all, I agree with you. We can't vote our way out of this. You've put out many solutions over the years. You have the freedom cells. I talk about you a lot with that and many other things. You've come up with anti-great reset stuff. What is your what is what are your thoughts? Because when I follow you and read you, um, you're one of the people that seems to be like, A, we can't vote ourselves out of this, and B, you know, we have to do it ourselves. What does that look like? Look like. Hmm. In terms of just solutions for the, you know, this overall. Well, we, have an election, well we have an election and a, a lot of people lot aren't of people aren't are happy are with anything that's going sure. on and i hear a lot of people talk about not voting and then i think well if we yeah, don't yeah. vote then the, then the fifth column <laughs> gets to decide what they're going to decide yeah. anyway as far as i'm concerned but um what okay. what are your thoughts well, yeah yeah i appreciate that and i appreciate this uh kind of more maybe a philosophical discussion strategic discussion because i think we need to evaluate our tools that are available to us and not just go vote because well that's what we do and just hope for the best and at the same time, I um, I don't, so I don't vote in presidential elections. I don't plan to vote this year. I do vote, uh, I've started to vote more on the local level, like getting involved in my community. As we talked about before, I ran for mayor of Houston and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, and I have ideas for other tools that, I, that I'll share about, but at the same time, I, if you feel, anybody hearing this feels like voting for president is serving you in some way, if you genuinely feel like you've done your research, you've done your homework, you're not just having a knee-jerk reaction, oh, I hate Trump or I hate Biden, so I'm voting for the other guy, but genuinely feel like the person you're going to vote for can do something good, and, and then do that, you know, do that. But at least be an educated voter. At least don't be some blind person or just a partisan person that's like, oh, I'm just going to vote all red or I'm going to vote all blue or I'm going to, you know, I think that's that's the worst thing you could do is just be un, an uneducated voter, right? So in me, to, from my position, like that's worse than, you know, being a voter and in, in, in general. Like I think in some ways there's a philosophical argument that participating in the voting system is uh, kind of tacitly um, 
approving or condoning of, of the system itself. But I also recognize that we are in a position, a unprecedented situation with unprecedented uh, levels of control and, and corruption going on that we should probably use any different tool we have available to us that we feel yeah, provides value. And that's kind of why I say that for me, I don't find value in voting for president. I don't think voting, I don't, for one, I don't think of any of the people who have presented themselves as candidates for president of the United States, just for that particular election, there's nobody that resonates with me particularly. There's nobody that I feel like I can trust. Now you guys hearing this and Mel, anybody else might hear, feel different and that's fine. But I would say, I guess my main message has always been that if you're going to do that and you're going to wait till November, what I think it's the 19th this year, November 19th and go vote for president. Hopefully that's not the only thing you're going to do between here we are in February and right. November. Hopefully right. you're voting every day by, you know, learning a little bit more about growing your own food or going to a local farmer's market and supporting those who do grow food and, and, you know, raise animals and do it in a way without hormones and poisons and toxins, right? Maybe you're, uh, voting every day by no longer using Google and getting off big tech and taking steps like that. You're uh, voting by uh, you know, starting a local homeschooling co-op if you got kids and and getting your kids out of that indoctrination system, right? You're you're voting every day with your actions, one way or the other, whether you realize it or not. By the you know we understand this idea of voting with your dollar. So the the businesses and the corporations and the people you support with your money, your time, your energy, the place you work and how you make them, all these things, I think, are a sense of voting that are probably more important in our daily lives and have more impact, not, you know, than even just this one person. Yes, a president has the appearance of having a lot of power and the people behind them have the real power. And we're taught to believe that those people represent us they're going to defend us they're going to fight for us and they're going to you know be the ones to kind of stand up against the bad guys for us i, I think that's personally and this is you know no offense to anybody i no, think that's no, a kind this of is why very, i like you i, li I like what i think it's say. i think it's kind <laughs> of a, a childish way of thinking i think it's part of the propaganda that has been seeded into our minds to make you think that you're not a powerful beautiful free person capable of you know ruling your own life now it doesn't mean that we can like you asked Mel, what does that look like practically, right? Because everything I'm saying here, I believe, but I understand somebody who's like, I'm with you, Derek, I'm with you. Yeah, we're all powerful. I don't need Trump. I don't need Biden. But how's that going to stop Klaus Schwab? Or how's that going to you know, stop the digital IDs? And I don't know. I don't know that we can stop it. I mean, I will be bluntly honest. I don't know that we can stop what they're building. I'm not saying to give up, of course, by any means. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I had given up. But I'm also trying to say, and that doesn't mean give in. It doesn't mean don't try. It doesn't mean, yeah. okay, sign me up for the Borg. I give in to the agenda, any of those things. I'm just being realistic that, and as I think I've said on this show before that these people have trillions of dollars working with every government in the world, multinational corporations. They're planning night and day. They're doing summits every other oh, yeah. month. They're releasing white papers, you know, and what are you doing? What are you doing? You're, you're going to work for somebody else for 50 hours a week and then coming home and watching YouTube videos. Like, they're probably a little more organized than we are. And so I think we should get equally organized on a local level. This is what Freedom Cells is about. This right. is what the Greater Reset's about. You know, I find hope, faith, comfort in looking on our in our local communities and trying to see how we can strengthen each other. And this is easier said than done, typically in more rural areas. It's definitely harder in the city because everybody's more 
kind of got their own thing going on. I'm here in San Francisco and like, as I'm saying this, I'm looking outside and like, okay, that might be tougher in this area where there's just a lot of insanity going on, but it is possible. And if we don't try, if we don't try to talk to our neighbors and get past the divisions that these people at the top, the predator class have created to right. make us be like, oh no, you're the other side. I can't talk to you. I can't work. Oh yeah, with you. it's there's it's no so way over the top. That mentality. Yeah, but it's we the people that we're talking to about win if we don't talk to each other. And exactly. you know, my biggest exactly. issue is I don't. I, I feel like this election in 2024, regardless, I, I know what you think, but to me, uh, I don't want World War III to escalate further than it has. And I truly don't believe that the people that are in, are placed in there right now uh, have any interest in stopping that at all. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's just what I, I see them planning towards. I think that all the wars in the nations right now are controlled by the same people that we're talking about that want the great reset, the more chaos, yeah. the more confusion, the more death, the better. And, and these are the people I, I want out. And I think that, like I said, I think there's a fifth column above our government some of them are they are the uh, you know multinational corporation lawyers. Some of them are the billionaire oligarchs. They're all aligned. There is no like I say to people all the time. The hard part of realizing that what you're saying is true and what I say all the time is true is that this group isn't Nazi Germany. It has no allegiance to any flag, or any country, or any religion or any anything. They are exactly. a, they are unto themselves, which has given them a lot of power because it's very easy to say they don't exist because they've worked hard to make sure that uh, you know you look kind of crazy unless you start actually doing what we do and reading their own papers and looking at their own stuff. Exactly. But for me, I mean, yeah. I am for uh, voting uh, the, gr the group of people, and I'm not talking about Biden because I don't think he's in control, but the people sure. around him, especially the trilateral commission people, the people that are clearly already sold out our country. I think that Larry Fink is more power in this country than anyone that is elected. Like there's certain yeah. things that I just feel like have to stop. So, you know, that's sure. my my votes for stopping that. Um, but I yeah. agree with you. I feel that. Yeah, the most I definitely thing. I can definitely understand that. I'll just I'll add to this that I think that again, like I don't want to discourage anybody from doing anything that they think will lead to good and you know, hopefully we do get somewhere better because at the end of the day um, you know, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I get along with a lot of people who do support Trump. We right, probably agree on 90% of things. And there are people who maybe are terrified of Trump that I can get along with on certain issues as well. And I try to focus on that because I truly do believe like that for one, and we've, we've had conversations on this, that these people have studied human psychology. They know us better than we know ourselves. They know how to play us against ourselves and they know how to tickle our little egos and make us want to be right and make us, you know, become real tribal. And our group's the right ones. Those are the wrong ones. Right. And even in the, you know, conspiracy, truth, whatever freedom movement, people are guilty of falling into these same traps. And like, oh, we're the enlightened ones. We know better. These people are sheeple, they're ignorant, whatever. We need to be able to rise above that and find a way. And I, and I say this, you know, understanding that it's more difficult than it can than it seems, and sometimes easier said than done. And you know, I'll I'll be on the internet sometimes and get pulled into a discussion and feel that heated moment come up, and I just want to talk crap to somebody. But at the end of the day, I know that that's only serving them, and that one yes. way or the other, we have to find a way to come together. Because you're right, the Larry Finks and the other folks in the world, the trilateral commission and others like for one they've been working on this agenda for for generations now they've they've always funded both sides of conflicts you right. know people think like oh we gotta they're gonna communists take over no it's the nazis they're funding both sides they've been funding both sides since the beginning of this whole you know false dichotomy and they continue this because they want to try to play into our 
little primal lizard brain and say, hey, you're different. I can't talk to you. You're in one box and I'm in the other. There's no way we can get along and find a solution. And meanwhile, we know the people at the top continue to rob us all blind and do all this horrible stuff that we know they're involved in. So the the only way we're really going to work through this, whether you vote or you don't vote, is for us to find a way to connect to each other, to find a little bit of humanity and to focus on that and realize we all have much more in common than the people at top. I agree. I agree. And a lot of it, which you talk about too, and have for you know, well over 10 years is uh, the wearing us down to the point that we just surrender. And we say, you know what, globalists, our common agenda, just what well, we're in fine. Just leave us alone. Cause that's not good. That's what I feel like they're, everyone's exhausted at the endless, you know, Trump, I, I see who's running this, the endless, you know, headlines and this and that, like most, most people, I agree, just want the government to do the job that it was supposed to do and leave us alone. And, and those are the people that, and, and they've, they've infiltrated our brains, our lives, our technology, our children, everything so much that, um, you know, just to me not doing anything, but I, I feel that the people that are in, uh, especially in running the department of defense right now, the people running the senior executive service, like, I don't know how to get those people out. Many of them have been there since the JFK murder, if not came in under the people that were involved in that. And they still are running. The EPA is one of the examples of it. It's just, those are me, the, those are the real bureaucratic deep right. state. These people, and I mean, we, and this is, this is yeah, just to kind of tie it back to the Florida case. This is why I, I I wanted to be here to try to ask the questions to some of these people because you know it, it, these people that you've never heard of are the right. ones making the decision to kill the report on fluoride or to block this thing and and they stay in government regardless of who the president is they right. rarely get changed out they're kind of in behind the scenes a little bit and they're not top level working with klaus schwab but they're a part of this mechanism as well and if you don't fully clean house like that then it doesn't, this is, you know, again, my point, like then it won't really matter who is president if you don't change the infrastructure, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think that's really important, but I love everything that you do and I, I, your passion and your, your authenticity in everything that you say and do is, is really extraordinary in such a time of so much fraud and phoniness. (laughs) So, so uh, I love that you you stick to what you believe and, and I know you really believe it and you, you know, it and you put it into action and it's very rare. And I, I'm very honored every time you come on. Um, so, uh, tell everyone again, where they can find all the fluoride stuff, really important everyone to get to understand this. It's only us that can do anything here because, you know, as we said, there, there's uh, multi layers of people against, uh, you know, people helping humans and, uh, the ones that are, you really have to follow. So, uh, Derek, can you tell them where to follow you, how to find you? And, uh, and then we'll have another show next week about another topic. That's very important. Absolutely. Cool. I would love to come back. Um, yeah, so for, I'll mention if you want to follow the Fluoride Action Network, their website is fluoridealert.org, and they've got a lot of info on the history of the lawsuit and the, the uh, witnesses, if you want to learn more about that. If you'd like to follow my reporting specifically, theconsciousresistance.com, and when you go to the website right now, you'll see probably, I think, eight posts or more. The, every, pretty much the last two weeks of the website has all been fluoride, so you'll see all the reporting I've done. And then again, I write for the lastamericanvagabond.com, and you can check out um, our fluoride page for all of our reporting. I'll have a brand new article coming out uh, later today on everything that happened the last three three days or so that I've summarized here. And um, I think I mentioned earlier, next Tuesday will be the final, final day where, and this is on Zoom, just in case anybody wants to you know, tune in or watch, I'll be doing live tweeting again for that final day when, when the Fluoride Action Network will be doing their closing arguments and the EPA will be doing their closing arguments. And um, as soon as we hear a decision from the judge, I will be reporting it immediately. And for those who are praying people, I encourage you to pray that Judge Chen um, does the right thing here because I know that he is 
he seems to be legitimately trying to weigh the evidence and do what's right. So let's hope that that's what prevails. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll put all the links for Derek below. He's a really good follow. If you do not know his work, it is uh, really incredible on many, many topics. And he, he doesn't just go on the surface. He goes way deep and uh, you will leave learning a lot every time. So thank you so much, Derek. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Amazing work. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Mel. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. You know, for months and months, me and Michael have been talking about the water supply. What is in there? There are pharmaceuticals in the water supply. There are all these chemicals, lots of pollution. We've had all these natural disasters that leave our water not nearly as clean and certainly not as God intended. We know how important water is for our health. So we have been on a mission to try to find the best alternative to the water that is out there, including bottled water, which course we did a whole show on everything that's in bottled water which is almost as shocking as what's in our natural water now so we found the best partner we could in healthy hydrogen uh, this is a portable bottle that I use all the time but also there are many options over there you can get a house a full house system you can get a tabletop system you can get uh, for your shower for your office and business they have so many great options if you go to the show.com we have partnered with them so it's on our partners page healthy hydrogen I am telling you right now, the difference in this water and what it will do to your health in general is incredible. Uh, if you have inflammation, your immune system has problems, anything that you are thinking you don't know the solution for, this could be the game changer. We've been looking for the missing piece and I believe the missing piece is the water. We are so excited. They have so much science backing all of their products. They have been tested by all different groups out there that do this for a living and look at water really in depth. We have the hydrogen aspect, which is truly fascinating. Nothing is more important than water. We all know that. So make sure you're putting the best water in your body. And I assure you, this is a true, true game changer that you will see right away and will improve your health and your family's health going forward. Go check out the Mel K Show Partners page, Healthy Hydrogen, and get your health back from the inside out, starting with God's great water. We will see you soon. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. The narrative is falling apart, but as it does, there's so much of this fraudulent disinformation, misinformation, censorship coming from the globalists. And what we need to do is be focused on the facts, cut through everything, be discerning, and get it first and foremost out there to everyone. It is important that you know what is going on. Censorship is getting nuts. You guys know it. There's accounts all over the place that are fake, that are not me. I know you guys send me emails and I really appreciate it. And you report it and it's on Telegram and Instagram and Twitter and they're not me. So I'm super excited to announce We The People with Mel K. Be the first to join. It's a VIP community, just you and me behind a paywall, no trolls, no nothing. We get to know each other. I will give you the facts first. I break a lot of stories a long time before other people. We can talk about past, present, future, history, what we're doing now, solutions for going forward, what 2024 is gonna look like. I'm gonna do breaking news, do a lot of deep dives. I'm gonna bring that information to you guys first in a live Q&A every week. So please click the link below and join me over there. We are going to create a community, a community that is censorship proof, it's cancel proof, it's truth, it's transparency, it's on the road to God, country, justice, everything that we want in one place. This is the most incredible, amazing time to be alive. As hard as it seems and as difficult as the battle has been for you guys and definitely for me, all I know is that we all are part of the solution. We are all involved and invested and you guys have the passion that I have. So let's join together. 
on live Q&As once a week with me, Mel Kay, we the people of the United States taking back this nation. This is so exciting, guys. I've been dying to do this and we finally got the technology right. So please join me. Click the link below. Can't wait to get started.